for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at TNTradio.live. Be on the lookout and alert for anything out of the ordinary. Natalie Cheel and Rick Munn. Thank you for your cooperation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome to Open Line. If you were looking at the video, there's that lovely picture where it looks like Rick is going to come and kidnap me. Uh, But we're all good here in the studio. Uh, It's Happy Tuesday, the 23rd of January 2024. I'm Natalie Chill. Rick and Gemma are to come, of course. And we've also got guests, Charlie Sampson and Alex Armstrong. Don't forget, you can call in at the end of the show and get on the online chat, uh, as you always can, entertaining and we want you to have your say. Uh, my health kick continues. I am uh, did some before and after pics. It's been exactly six months. Now, I didn't know whether to post them because my before pics uh, I put it on X are not exactly very uh, flattering. I'm trying to think of the right word, but... I can at least say say I've got somewhere in six months. I've just posted it on the online chat so you can have a look. Uh, it's good to know that you're getting somewhere and consistency is key, Rick. So uh, I thought I'd share it with people, even if they're rather embarrassing. Well, that's good. You know, that's good. Put it out there and make yourself accountable. Sometimes a little bit of pressure is no bad thing. And if you've made progress in the last six months, well, then good for you. Congratulations. And uh, I think you're still on the health kick at the moment. You haven't reached the final destination yet. So, yeah, keep uh, keep yourself going and uh, keep enjoying the benefits of being healthier fitter and all that jazz yeah it's all yeah. good well i done thought i'd share you. it with you because if it wasn't for tnt i probably wouldn't be but wouldn't be doing it but you've given me the motivation and yeah. we like to talk about bins here on open line uh we've been talking about them a lot over the last couple of weeks and uh, all the problems with the councils and the bins well hampshire county council now are saying they're going to take away 12 local tips and it's going to save them 1.2 million so as well as having maybe 12 different types of bins that you've got to put out and recycle they're now wanting to get rid of tips and if one council does it rick it's probably going to be more so what do we think more fly tipping more problems uh do you think it's a good thing taking away tips in the local area definitely not i'll tell you the place that i live in at the minute if you want to dump your crap in the in the actual council appointed place you now have to make an appointment to go there you have to bring a driving license with you and another proof of id to show that you're from the local area that you're not coming in from another area using up their skip space and then when you finally do manage to find this place it's this horrible uh circular tipping thing that cars are supposed to drive around and then park it for example the cardboard bay you dump your cardboard and then you go to the electrical thing and then you dump it there and then general household waste if you miss the right spot they've got people standing at each skip telling you you can't put that in there you have to drive around again and join the queue it's an almighty pain in the ass not and from what i know a lot of stuff that's uh for example supposed to be recycled at local landfill centers or or local uh, processing centers actually goes into landfill anyway it's crazy and if they do cut down in the 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 bin uh, the bin deposit places or the places you can uh, dump your crap no doubt about it fly tipping is going to be on the up people just can't be bothered with all this red tape and nonsense anymore just chuck it and skip and let that be it 
Yeah, it's exactly the same here in Reading. I must admit, I'm not one to, uh, I'm not, I can't carry much. So I've never been one to like lug lo- lots of big stuff to the tip anyway. But I used to be in the car like when I did with my dad as a kid. Uh, but now the Reading one, you have to book an appointment. Like you said, I, I, I wouldn't even want to go. It's too scary. These men are like shouting you, you've gone to the wrong place. You know, oh, sorry, I, I've got a TV. He's like, no, you can't put that there. You've got to go in the, in the next apartment. It's become, it's become it actually quite quite uh like, like you know uh, it's intimidating for women particularly it's intimidating it's become an and intimidating they, act they yeah, do have these bouncer types these bouncer types you know these stereotypical skinhead tatted up all the needs a couple yes. of pit bull terriers standing beside the the electrical recycling going if you don't put your stuff in the right place i'm going to set sultan on you here and I, yeah. yeah i i don't think it does well because people then get worried and you know what that does it causes people to hoard their junk then stick it, it in the garage hoard it in the spare room they maybe need the space so yeah i think uh dumping your rubbish should be a lot more easy for people to do yeah, and uh, we'll keep an eye on this because, as we've seen, everything tends to he- be in lockstep. So if one council does it and we know they're all struggling and uh, don't have the budget to fund anything at the moment, it's going to be happening across the country too. So we'll keep you up to date there. But we got to take a quick break and introduce Gemma here at today's News Talk. It's the stuff. It's that division people are talking about. And that cluelessness that they want to push. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Experiences or intimidating ones at the tip recently? Well, I have a I have a really good relationship with uh, with the guys at my local tip, and because uh, I go there quite a lot, and I've become really friendly with them all, and they they are lovely, I have to say. But um, the closures of tips, it's already happened in North Somerset where I live. It happened a couple of years ago, and there was absolute uproar from from local residents where this tip was closed because it just puts stress on all the other tips in North Somerset that have to take the strain. Um, but you know, it's the same. We don't have to make an appointment where we are, but you do certainly. There's warnings about taking a driving license, proof of residence. Residents and but they get to know your face after a while. The guys where where, uh, where I am, but they are they are really nice. But of course, the, the biggest scandal of all is the recycling scandal, where you you know in good faith you drag your bins out once a week, uh, and only to find that most of what goes to processing centres doesn't get recycled. They, they, for all sorts of reasons, machinery sorting. There's all kinds of things, and like plastic bottles is the one. I mean, in India, they all get sent to India, and I've seen horrendous images of people wading through plastic bottle mountains because we don't actually recycle it. We displace it um you know it's, a, it's again another story that needs really investigation because people people think they're doing the right thing just like yes. over the last few years you're doing the right thing you're doing the right thing no they get loaded onto containers and shipped to the third world you know we just make it somebody else's problem that's that's the real issue around recycling um there's nowhere to put it there's nowhere to put it so we just put it somewhere poorer and I would just like to say in Reading, they don't recycle glass. So the poor alcoholics out there, uh, like, like me used to, uh, we're drinking. We also had, had to collect all our glass bottles. And then you take one trip every couple of months. And it looks like it looks like you're the biggest drinker ever. So, uh, yeah, start taking glass as well. If you want us to do all that recycling, at least don't make us make a trip with all our alcoholic bottles to the bottle bank, is what I'm saying. Uh, and what story and update have you got for us now, Gemma? 
Well, it's, it's the Middle East. Um, obviously, we had the joint airstrikes once again last night uh, in Yemen to protect uh, shipping in the Red Sea. And uh, today, New Zealand have, have announced uh, just earlier today that they're going to send a six-month defence team to the Middle East to uphold maritime security in the Red Sea. So much as we've talked about on uh, on Open Line before, you know, this is it's escalation of the tensions in that part of the world. You know, the world seems to be piling in. They have said this is not a, a military Thing. As such, it's a self-defense. It's to add to the maritime support there. And it shouldn't be confused with the New Zealand's position on what's happening in the Middle East. And they, they are calling for a humanitarian ceasefire uh, and a truce. So that's their position. They're not wavering from that. But they say that um, it's absolutely important that we uh, New Zealand has a very long history of defending freedom of navigation in the Middle East and closer to home, maritime freedom. Uh, and they say the Houthi attacks are illegal, unacceptable, and devastating. When that's the line the UK's taking, um, it's just interesting that you know the Prime Minister Christopher Luxon has said this today. Um, when the the rest of the six allied nations keep saying we want tensions de-escalated, we want this situation sorted out, but the rest of the world seems to be piling on in. I mean, even if they're saying there'll be no um, defence personnel entering Yemen from New Zealand or getting involved with the conflict, you're still sending a six-month defence team to that part of the world. So it's a very clear signal that the military might of the Western nations are now in lockstep in that part of the world. Now, we've heard from David Cameron, Dodgy Dave, our, our new unelected foreign secretary this morning. Um, he is saying, you know, we're absolutely adamant that we're going to back up all our words with action in that part of the world. He says this morning we're not accepting the Houthi narrative and that the strikes are absolutely designed to degrade the Houthi ability to launch any more attacks. And he says the US and the UK are building this coalition of support. He said that a few hours ago. And of course, New Zealand coming in does add to this coalition of support. Um, as I say, the joint, there's been a joint statement of the six allied nations, uh, which is the UK, the US, Australia, Bahrain, Netherlands and Canada, now tacitly including New Zealand. And they have said, you know, as a result of these strikes, we want to de-escalate tension and restore stability. But it's a kind of like the kind of the cognitive dissonance of what they're saying and what they're doing um, don't match up. And Labour today as well, Keir Starmer, he wasn't briefed about these attacks. He's unhappy about it, unsurprisingly. And he's calling for a briefing in Parliament today to explain how these attacks uh, were carried out without a, without a briefing. And he wants more details about what's being done to protect civilians in that part of the world as, as the attacks continue. So that's kind of the, the situation as we speak. We've got New Zealand wading into the fray, which will... It, visually, it looks like things are escalating, even if they're being very neutral and saying, no, 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 we're just there to provide support. Visually, you send a six-month defense team into that part of the world, it does send a very clear signal that the world, the West, is 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 ramping itself up. And I think what else is interesting, and a few commentators have, have made this point, is that it does rather seem that the, the weight of the world is more concerned about trade and the economy than the tragic loss of life in the Middle East. Um, and it's that, that you know, corporate corporate interests uh, and products and oil and, and, and stuff coming in from China and things, you know, consumer goods are more important than children being killed in the Middle East. Mm. Yeah. What do, you, what do you reckon, Rick? What's more important, trade or kids? 
Well, you know, it depends on who you're talking to. For us, we would have to say kids, but for uh, just call me Dave Cameron, he would probably say a trade, but he would never actually come out and say that. Of course, he'll masquerade that he cares about people. He's a humanitarian, like all the globalists out there, when in reality, all that matters is the bottom line, the dollars or the pounds in their pockets. This is an interesting one. Just the actual story, Gemma, it says uh, New Zealand will deploy a six-member defence team to the Middle East as part of, of an international coalition. And I'm thinking, is that six, six people from New Zealand? Because let's be honest, when you think, oh, New Zealand are weighing into the war, uh, what are they going to do? And, you know, I'm seeing pictures of six Maori standing on a frigate somewhere doing the haka to, to, to intimidate the Houthis. And then later on down in that article, there's actually a picture of Rod Stewart uh, under uh, New Zealand Prime Minister Chris Luxer. And I thought, he looks awfully like Rod Stewart. And then I realised it's some ad for Rod Stewart saying, I'm ashamed of what I did. So maybe that's another follow-up story on a tangent for another time. What has Rod done that he's so ashamed of? Sorry to be digressing a little bit, but these are just the things that come into my mind sometimes when we're talking about these stories. Well, maybe if it's only six people, maybe it's six six New Zealand uh, who've got a submarine each or something. They, they could be members, very important. Six members, six, six member yeah. cool, six member defence team from New Zealand. So I'm thinking, am I am I am I am I being stupid here? Is it six people or what's this six member thing i don't know or maybe it's part of six nations i'm having a little bit of a joke but i just have this picture yeah. of a, a group of warriors from new zealand those intimidating maoris doing the haka rugby style all black style in the red sea and the houthis running left right and center uh for fear of their lives so yeah that's what i make we of that story Thank, thanks, Rick. I've got the image of six people now, like joining joining the war. Um, uh, what one thing I wanted to add is we spoke about this last week. Uh, we, we're just getting reports, really, on all of this from the legacy media or on behalf of the governments. What I'd really like to see is more reporting actually in the area from from people actually, you know, in Yemen and, you know, to see what's going on, because otherwise we're only getting, aren't we, Gemma, really the reports from what they want us to hear. It's very, very difficult to really gauge what's going on and what's the truth, isn't it? Well, in this instance, we we know that the New Zealand Prime Minister has said he will be sending this six member. Yeah. I think that probably means in terms of I don't think it means six people, but we won't go back to that. I think it's it just probably the way, doesn't mean it. It's just the way that it read. You know, I yeah. just had this picture, six six Maoris heading out there to do the haka. Yeah. That's just me. But I think, um, you know, it, he has announced that he will be sending that 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 defence team uh, and that, that we do know that. And we know that the strikes have taken place. Um, you're quite right about, you know, the, the truth of the situation. And even if, if you were looking at reports coming out of Yemen, you know, when you're looking at war, one person's truth is another person's falsehood completely. That's why it's, it's so polarizing, isn't it? So one person's take on the situation could be diametrically opposed to another. And to get to the truth of this particular situation, you'd have to get thousands of different views to, to eventually distill it down to what really is going on. But I do think one of the things that is going on here, and, and I have seen commentators today talking about this, and I would it's, it's certainly a trend, is that it's very clear that commerce is more important than, than in human life and that trade must come above all. And look at the might yeah. of what is going on and look at the nations that are involved. And now we have another Western nation today saying, well, we're going to go there as well. Um, and it does send a very clear signal that although they talk about de-escalation, they're not going to because there's, there's so much money at stake.
that, that yeah. and all, all of these leaders, the globalists and former politicians, they sit on boards of trade. They they are on quangos with corporate bodies. They've all got vested interests. They've got shares in goodness knows what these people that you know are in charge of us. So of course, they're not even just protecting um, uh, uh, like commercial interests. They're protecting their own interests, obviously, uh, with this yeah. too. And, and you know, you, we'd have to go digging into who's got shares in what and who sits on what board of what in all the different countries. You know, all of those six allied nations, not just not just where David yeah. Cameron's yeah. got his dodgy financial interest so it is it is a sobering thought it is it would take mm. take a lot of investigation to go into all those corporate links wouldn't it but yeah rishi sunak is definitely uh looking after trade rather than worrying about the bombing of women and children in gaza it's time now we have to say goodbye to Gemma. she'll be back with rick in the next hour and then we've got charlie Sampson coming up after the short break at tnt tnt's kate shimarani i'm of the, the belief that your body can totally 100% heal itself. If you remove the offending things and you flood your body with what it needs, what do your dogs and your kids do when they get sick? They lie down and sleep, don't they? They don't want to eat. They get great big temperatures and they just want to rest. What, do you think you're a special, special snowflake? You're any different? No, that's you as well. But what do they want to do when you go to the hospital? I've seen it firsthand in the last couple of weeks. They're just gonna serve you rubbish food, wheat, sugar, dairy, animal protein, tea and coffee, fluoridated, chlorinated, bromine, water, drugs, pharmaceutical petroleum-based drugs. Kate Shamarani on today's News Talk TNT. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40 California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a thousand dollar a day fine. Government stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2%, you know, 99.8% survival, rather than the 3 or 4% mortality that the, the people were saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church? The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. <laughs> when the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control 
and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. You have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them, this is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. Today's News Talk. News and information. TNT Radio. Okay, very happy to be joined this morning by none other than Charlie Sansom. Charlie is a singer and also a DJ, as well as being a political commentator. And you can find his work at charliesansom.substack.com or follow him on the X or Twitter platform at Charlie Sansom. That's S-A-N-S-O-M. Charlie, welcome to uh, Open Line on TNT Radio this morning. We want to talk to you this morning about uh, some skullduggery and shenanigans that's been going on. Our Bob Moran, who has been epically depicting all the madness of the last four years in laser precise accuracy with his cartoons, uh, has ruffled the feathers of a few people yesterday by the looks of it. His latest uh, cartoon uh, accused of anti-Semitism, dehumanization, demonization, the Crown Prosecution Service, the Metropolitan Police, Laura Dodsworth, has been calling on them to investigate this cartoon. She wrote a book about state of fear, about government overreach. Is this another step in the madness that we're taking here at the minute or what's going on? Well, what I can tell from this whole furore, if you want to call it that, is that people like free speech right up until it affects them. Mm. And that's why I think Laura Dodsworth may have gone overboard by getting the police involved or trying to get them involved. I don't know if she's been successful. I hope not. But it seems like she's adamant about getting Bob Moran in trouble for, you know, a cartoon. I mean, this is this is the world we're living in right now where offence and feeling is more important than truth and fact. Mm. And, and tell me this, I mean, aside from the content of the cartoon, okay, and aside from what it's uh, in relation to, which is the, the events that are currently ongoing in the Middle East, the genocide, uh, what's going on in Gaza, tens of thousands of people being killed indiscriminately. This is about freedom of speech. And I think you hit the nail on the head. I'm starting to, you know, raise an eyebrow uh, whenever it comes to certain people at the minute, because they seem to be happy enough that they have freedom of speech, but mm. they don't like it when someone says something contrary to what they believe in or want to hear. Is that not defeating the whole principle of freedom of speech to begin with? You're right on that front. And I, and I want to make a comparison between Bob's last cartoon and this new one, which the last one was... Um, Bath blood, people bathing in blood with, there was all kinds of political characters in that. Tony oh. Blair, Barack Obama, uh, Jordan Peterson was in there for some reason. I don't know why. Um, a myriad of people, King Charles was in there. And that one was celebrated, actually. I went through the comments on on Bob's Twitter page yesterday and I thought, I thought wow, they, they like this kind of art. So then when you follow it up with Netanyahu eating what looked like, I don't know for sure, but it looked like it was dead children being served up by a Joe Biden who can't pour a glass of wine properly and Sunak serving in more children. Now, for me, I saw that as the Americans and the British following the Israelis with whatever they do. Sunak will obviously follow Biden because the British, unfortunately, are just poodles for the Americans. That's that's the way it's been for a very long time now. And then you've got Netanyahu. Now, the symbolism in it that I saw was that everything we see about this war especially from my perspective, is dead children. It's all I ever see. 
I see kids with their arms blown off, legs blown off, injured, crying, whatever. And it's always Palestinian kids. So my perspective on it is that it's very clever. It does play on an old um, propaganda line that the Nazis used back in the day. However, in a modern day context, is that going to be taken seriously? Of course, it's not. Is it offensive? Perhaps. Should it be banned? Definitely not. And this is where we're at now, where you've got people who are more offended by a cartoon than what appears to be genocide. Mm-hmm. Natalie, there's a comment here on the on the thread or that this was put up, Laura Dodsworth put this up, and one the top response said, I, I think the cartoon, this is the commentator, I think the cartoon is in poor taste, but calling for the Metropolitan Police and the Crown Prosecution Service to get involved is a mistake in my view, to which he responded, well, I'm sure it's been reported many times by the police. Not saying, yeah, maybe it was a mistake, just say, well, I'm sure many people have done this, getting into that herd mentality again. What do you make of this? Look, I, I don't agree at all with Laura Dodsworth here. I mean, it, but it's her right. If she believes it's anti-Semitic and she wants mm-hmm. to have that opinion, then all well and good. You know, you exactly. you write that on X, you write that on Twitter. I have a right not to agree with you. But in the same way, you know, I'm not going to then say, well, I'm going to go to the police and I'm going to uh, go against her and try and... Uh, should we all do that every single time we differ with an opinion to someone? Should we all say, well, you've hurt me, you've offended me and against my free speech? We could do it with everybody. I mean, I put something yesterday on X. It's OK for you to believe what you believe. It's not OK for you to insist that everyone else believes the same as you, Charlie, isn't it? Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think most people that I spoke to yesterday, especially during the live stream that I did last night about this subject, was that people did find it distasteful but they didn't want it banned. And yes. that's the common, that's the common thread. And I think that's a good place to be at because it's okay not liking something. I don't like a lot of things that I see, yeah. but I also support the right of those people to say it or perform it or produce yeah. their artwork or whatever the case may be. I don't think censorship is any way beneficial to anyone. It's not just in, in closing here, uh, Charlie, I heard a, a comedian, I can't remember who it was, so I can't give credit to them, but they made a statement last week. An old stand-up comedian said, listen, offence is not something that you can give. Offence is only something that you can take. So it's a choice to be offended by something you see or yeah. read. And if it is the case, if you are offended by things, don't look at them or don't watch them, you know, and because some people say, oh, well, you're 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 promoting this, you're promoting that. No, I'm also promoting my right to say whatever I like mm. that will probably offend a lot of other people as well. If everybody took that attitude, everybody would be silenced and no one would get to say anything. What do you think? No, you're absolutely right. I think that, you know, the more people that stand up for the rights of free speech, the better. And I think now people are becoming braver purely because it's affecting them. But then you do still have those people that claim to be freedom fighters, that claim to be on the side of, on the right side of history, um, that will flip-flop when it upsets them. And I think that's quite pathetic. Mm, It is. And I don't think uh, we're going to see the end of this one yet. I think this one is going to build up uh, in intensity because it's drawing a lot of people into the debate, obviously, since this cartoon was released. And I suppose, actually, if Lord Dodsworth had actually been quiet about this and just let it take its course, it would have been forgotten about probably by the time Bob does his next cartoon. But instead, there's a whole Ferrari over it. And here we are talking about it uh, this morning live on uh, TNT. So uh, we've got to go to news headlines right now. So just a massive thanks to you, Charlie, for taking 
taking the time Thanks, to hop Charlie. on this morning and lend us your uh, thoughts and opinions on this one. That's Charlie Sansom. Check him out uh, on X at Charlie Sansom, S-A-N-S-O-M. we got to take a quick break for news headlines. We will be right back in a, the blink of an eye here on TNT, today's news talk. <laughs> Big news. Big news. Big news. The biggest breaking news story. Holy crap. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Tensions are building in the US where a battle over border security is brewing between Texas and the federal government. Trump has pledged to seal the US-Mexico border if re-elected as president. The US and the UK have carried out another wave of airstrikes against Iranian-backed terrorists in the Middle East. And Russia's foreign minister has hit out at the West for arming Ukraine with cluster bombs and depleted uranium shells that have been used against civilians. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. Welcome back. Don't forget you can call in at the end of the show, but now joining us on Open Line is Alex Armstrong. You can follow him on X at Alex H. Armstrong. He is a political commentator and an ex-UK parliament. He worked at the Shadow Secretary for Transport and he's now here to talk about the pupil taking the head teacher to court over a Muslim prayer ban. Now, we have spoken about this a lot um, on Open Line. We've covered it with Gemma and had lots of updates, but Alex is here now to give his view too. So, Alex, should a school be a church or a mosque or encourage religious practice. Mm, yeah, think? this is a great topic. It's it's been it's been in the headlines yeah. obviously week this week in the UK. And you know, for for me, this this is a very particular case because we're talking about Catherine Burblesing, right? She is the strictest headmistress. Well, she's been dubbed the strictest headmistress in the UK, and that's because she's got this school in Northwest London, and she's basically created a, what's called a free school, which is state paid for but not run by the local council, and she's made that one of the most outstanding schools in the country. And she's done that by stripping back loads of nonsense that keeps on plaguing most of our schools in the UK. So a good example of this is no other flag than the British flag allowed to fly on school grounds. Kids have to come with their uh, uniform really tidy, you know, their ties done up, all that stuff. And of course, the other part is the Muslim prayer ban and just actually a general prayer ban. It's not just Muslim prayer ban, it's all religions. So she's been treating the uh, kids there really fairly. She says that, that she wants to do this prayer ban because kids were just praying in the middle of playgrounds at random times in the day. And it was causing a lot of uh, like social discontent amongst the kids in the school from different religions. So she's banned it. Now, this pupil, uh, this is a great story. It gets really good twist there, guys, by the way. This pupil was then taken uh, of a Catherine Burblesing to court. And obviously, you know, it's the parents. It's obviously not the kid, right? Um, because they said they should be allowed to pray part of their religious freedoms. And so this court case is starting, obviously, a great cost to the taxpayer. And, you know, in my opinion, Catherine Burblesing's approach has is, is the, the proof of the pudding. I mean, it's an amazing school. You look at other schools in London, look at Barclay Primary School in East London, right? This is where 
Pal uh, radical Palestine activist parents have now shut that school down for two months because their pupil wasn't allowed to wear stop the war uh, badge to school. So, you know, when you when you compare the two schools, it's it's pretty nuts to see the difference. Like this is what happens when you've got a strict school this is what happens when you've got these sort of nonsense woke schools. Now, the key thing here is that we just found out yesterday that this pupil in question that's taking Catherine Burbleson to court is uh, actually had threatened to stab another pupil. Uh, it's, a, it's a female uh, female student. She threatened to stab another pupil and then destroy the school. So I, don't, I yeah, it's it's a crazy story. I, so in my opinion, like if we go if we go like, should we ban this stuff in schools? Absolutely. Religion hasn't got any place in schools. They are not places for prayer. They are there. They are educational institutions. They are there to teach kids how to learn. Yeah, I mean, I, I exactly what I said when we brought this up. Um, it's important to point out as well, students leave on average with better grades than private schools. That is a massive achievement. The Guardian said this week, uh, uh, the ban on Muslim prayer is dystopian and a sinister version of Britain. Uh, well, to me, it's the complete opposite, isn't it? If you can get all faiths, all cultures, all races in one place, and you can teach them with excellent education and grades. How is that? How is that sinister or even discriminating against anyone, Alex? Uh, I, I'm not surprised The Guardian wrote it, to be quite, quite frank with you. But it, it's not dystopian, is it? I mean, you look, send your kids to a religious school. If that's what you want to do, there are plenty of them in the UK. There are plenty of schools that, that teach, you know, based on like your Christian schools, for example. You know, there's plenty of them in London. So the, the thing is, that really winds me up about this, is that this, the, the parents sign a charter when they go to this school. They say, I agree to these strict rules for my child. So it's not like they don't know what they're getting themselves into. Um, for the Guardian to say it's dystopian is absolutely bonkers. They can still go and pray in their own time. They're just not allowed to do it on grounds. And Catherine Burblesink is right. She says we all have to give something up if we want to have and, and to have a school where there's cultural cohesion. We have to give something up. And that's what she's chosen for them to give up. I couldn't agree more. And as you said, it's one of the best performing schools, a state school. I mean, blimey, I wish my state school yeah. was this good. I, I'm actually from the same part of London that this school is in. And I probably would have done much, much better going to that school than I would my yeah. rubbish state school that had you know god knows how many woke things going on every bloody week yeah i absolutely agree and rick uh you know they many people believe school should affirm each child's racial uh religion gender identity but we're looking at the results you know is it a kind of proving that actually that doesn't help children at all having this kind of critical race theory pushed down their fruits you know every day in their education system yeah, when kids go to school, and I can only speak for myself, when I went to school, you were taught to read, you were taught to write, you were taught arithmetic, you were taught a little bit of geography, history, and then you sat exams at Christmas, you sat exams at Easter, and then you did your GCSEs and you did your A-levels. There was no wokery back in the 70s and 80s and early 90s when I was going to school. And even when I went to university, there was no wokery there either. A bit of socialism in there, a bit of left-wing politics in the student union, but that's as far as it went. There was no pride flag, there was no critical race theory, there was no white privilege, there was no toxic masculinity, and this is the kind of garbage that's being pumped out in schools these days on top of everything else. I have to ask myself a question, uh, Alex, what the hell do they actually teach children in school now? I mean, like, because we're having a whole generation of, you know, potential, uh, you know, bubbleheads coming out here. Uh, they know everything about critical race theory, but they don't know damn all about life. 
Yeah, you're absolutely spot on. I mean, this is the problem with the education system. It's been infiltrated by woke, very, very left wing teachers who have an agenda. They have an agenda and they're, te they're telling kids, hey, this is how you should think. This is how you should be. You're a minority. You've got it against. You've got it bad. You know, you're a victim. And so they bred this victim, this victim mindset from a very young age. And, uh, you know, I think when you see what goes on at schools now, you've got pride flags sp splashed across the, uh, you know, schools. I mean, there was, a, there was a case in the UK earlier this year where a teacher uh, and a bunch of pupils got in trouble because the te their, their kids were saying, you know, you can't be a cat. One of the one of the one of the students was saying, I'm a cat. I identify as a cat. And like, that's not that's not possible. And the teacher was defending the pupil saying that they're a cat. I mean, you just can't make this rubbish up, can you? Mm. So what happens is rather than school being more like a military style thing where everyone strips away their individualism and works collectively for the greater good, they're all taught. No, you are so individual and you should you are a victim and and basically come into the workplace and they come into the real world thinking that the world owes them something when the world owes you absolutely nothing. You're going to have to, they have to, then they have a very, very hard lesson to learn when they get into the real world and they go, well, oh, how, how am I going to navigate this without this victimhood sort of hanging over me? It's nuts. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think it causes massive, massive mental health problems in adulthood because like you said, you know, you're taught, you're special, and then you get into the real world and you go to work and you're not special any longer. Not and special. for some people, they, they they just can't hack it, you know? No. So, uh, and there was another thing just before we go, I didn't know if people had actually heard, you know, meat used to be served at lunchtime at this school, but Muslims avoided the pork, Hindus avoided the beef, and then pupils started to segregate in uh, the hall and so she said fine then if you start doing that nobody eats meat at all and we all eat veggie now i'm a big meat eater but i still understand where she's coming from it's nobody's going to get treated any different we'll treat you all the same and for me that's the opposite to discrimination so fair play to her i'm afraid we've run out of time alex uh, wanted to say a big thank you to you and don't forget to follow him at alex h armstrong on x and uh, we've got to take a quick break and after the break we've got lots more stories to cover here at today's news talk people might tell you that lime doesn't kill people but we are losing people people disappear from their lives one of the scariest things that i had to deal with was uh memory loss not just like i don't remember what i did last week but like I forgot all the words to my own songs. I remember going to my primary care physician and he was like, you are 100% healthy, there's nothing wrong with you. And my response was, that's impossible, I'm dying. I wasn't working. So I had all of these hospital bills. We had to move out of our home and move into my parents' basement. I just wish I could have truly been present in those big moments, you know, when she took her first steps or, you know, her first day of preschool. Lyme is such a thief and it goes undetected because no one is looking for it. For more information and prevention tips, go to projectlyme.org. I said, could she die? And the doctor said she could. It was so scary. When I started clawing at my neck and trying to breathe and I thought, no, what are we going to do if I die here? <laughs> How's everyone going to go on? When someone's gravely sick or injured in the bush, they rely on the Royal Flying Doctor service. But now the Flying Doctor needs your help 
to fund vital medical equipment and supplies. Please search Flying Doctor online to give a regular gift of just $10. You can help equip the Flying Doctor's teams to respond to any emergency anywhere. Search Flying Doctor online. Become a part of the Royal Flying Doctor service and help save lives in the bush. Be on the lookout and alert for anything out of the ordinary. Natalie Cheel and Rick Munn. Thank you for your cooperation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Don't forget you can call in, have your say, and the online chat is really busy today. We've got Marley Bites, Lisa, just a bloke who asked questions, Dud, uh, VOW Sela, Mazzy, uh, we've got Holly, Lisa. There's loads of people in there, so go and take a look. Uh, Rick, we've got a story from Ireland. Now, I didn't realise this, but Dublin wants to go like London, ULES style. They want to make Dublin city centre car free. And uh, the big department store there is saying this is going to wreck business. It's going to wreck the Dublin economy. Not a positive move, is it? No, it's not good at all, Natalie. Uh, Dublin, I, I'm surprised, actually. They seem to be lagging behind a little bit when it comes to totalitarianism, Wales-style or even Glasgow-style with ULES-type zones or low-emission zones that we're seeing in London or simply trying to make everything car-free, putting bike lanes in, putting bus lanes in, telling everyone to take public transport. They seem to have the idea now that they want to make Dublin city centre completely free of traffic. It is crazy. Dublin city centre is exceptionally busy how on earth they would uh, manage to keep everyone out of there without their cars I, I just can't see it actually happening but that's not to say that they won't try and do it and of course the traders in there are worried about business the rates that they pay in the city center of Dublin are absolutely astronomical they do rely heavily on footfall of people coming through and a little bit of tourism coming through there as well simply to keep the lights on so if you stop people or restrict people from driving into Dublin because public transport can be very dodgy these days, uh, traveling in and out of Dublin with all these uh, processing centers uh, dotted around left, right and center. And the people that are riding on the DART systems or the LUAS systems and the you know public transport can be a little bit hairy, puts a lot of people off. So, you know, that's going to affect business. And if business gets affected, shops close down, shops close down, turns into a ghost town, much like we're seeing right across the UK, as you've testified in Reading as well. I can testify yeah. to it in the town that I live in at the minute, Dublin could be yet another huge ghost town so it doesn't bode well for Dublin if they do actually manage to push this one through. No and I was I was reading uh, the report about it a radical new transport plan it aims to take two of out of three cars and it seems to claim in the report that people only uh, use the town centre to drive through it apparently to get mm. to another place is mm. is the kind of reason behind why they're doing this so apparently people don't drive into the town centre and use it nope we have to stop cars using it as a thoroughfare it's an absolute load of rubbish and uh, you've got to start wondering if they want to make them ghost towns and uh, they're wanting people to use online because, you know, no uh, person who's in trade or, or industry would possibly agree with this. So, yeah, we'll keep you updated on that one. Uh, we've got another story as well. Uh, this time, uh, Grant Shapps, another one of our favourite politicians, mm -hmm. uh, the Defence Secretary. Uh, he rejects claims the army is going to shrink after a 1930s style danger warning. So, uh, the 
The amount in the army now used to be 102,000 in 2006. It's already down to 74,000 today and still falling fast. Now, he says, oh, no, that's not going to make a difference. We don't need to invest any money in it. No, everybody's going to carry on signing up. The army's going to be fine. We won't put any money into the military. What do we think? Do you think he's being slightly optimistic there, Rick? He's a space cadet, this guy, Grant Shops. Uh, he, he is a, a real rat, a real weasel in the Rishi Sunak mold. If you just look yeah. at his little weaselly face, you'll know what I'm talking about. And he's also extremely deceptive, not like he's had at least three to four different aliases that he goes by. He goes under the name Michael Green. He goes under two other aliases as well. From his past, he called himself different names, depending on what the, he was trying to accomplish in his life at the time, which is highly suspect. And here we have him here rejecting claims the army will shrink further after a 1930s style danger warning it has shrank if you go from 100 and what six thousand down to yeah. 73,000 ish that's about 20 25 to 30 percent reduction in a short space of time if it keeps shrinking at the rate that it's going you know you have to ask yourself what, what will be left of the army in another 10 to 15 years and what's the caliber of the troops that's going in there there seems to exactly. be a lot of push for diversity in the army and listen i'm not being sexist or misogynistic here but if you want a fighting army that's going to defend your ass and protect you from invading forces you want at least fit people who are aggressive, who know how to handle a weapon, who don't get offended by little hurdy words. If you want to know what I'm talking about, yeah. look at the Russian army's uh, recruitment video versus the American army's recruitment video. And then honestly answer me the question, would you prefer the Russians to be defending you in the event of invasion or a woke uh, left-leaning uh, English or British or American army? I know which one I'd go for. And that's nothing to do with Putin or politics, just the caliber of the people that are recruited into those armies. Oh. I'm just laughing as you said it. I can imagine me being on the front line who can't run properly and have got like dodgy feet and I'm about five foot two. I think I think any bloke with one one shot on that uh, like like just punching me. That'll be that'll be me done. I'll be fine. Uh -huh. It'll be calling up people like me soon, you know, four a four-year-old mum of two injured. You know, that that'll be the type of people that he needs. But he makes lots of excuses here. The size of the overall armed force he says is around 188,000. What's he putting in there? Cadets maybe? Mm -hmm. Um you know territorial army is he adding all those in there? He's then then giving excuses that you know we can't spend more money at the moment because there's an election coming up and and I don't think people will think it's a good use of, of their money. Um, I'm thinking, well, maybe just stop spending money on foreign uh, problems like Ukraine and actually invest in your own army. He's just making absolute rubbish. And and the truth of the matter is, if, you know, people were looking at the situation, younger people, my son goes to cadets, for example, I wouldn't want him to join the army. But, you know, I would respect that if that's what he wanted uh -huh. to do. But, you know, seeing how, you know, they how disrespectful they've been with Iraq, with Afghanistan, you know, people aren't going to be wanting to go there and will there possibly be a national service or conscription um in the future i mean if this starts going down we're talking 75,000 50,000 25,000 what are they going to do then rick well it's something that they could well bring in and i was talking to a chap on locked and loaded last week parallel mike he's an english guy but he's uh, been living in poland for some years now they're bringing in uh, conscription into the polish uh, army and if you don't 
play ball. They simply put you in prison for up to three years. And, you know, I asked him the question, well, you know, what what are people doing? He said, well, if it's a choice between forced to go to the front line and be cannon fodder and probably end up blown to pieces for a government that you don't trust by politicians that don't give a damn about you, he said, I'd rather do three years in prison. And what are they going to do anyway? Are they going to lock everybody up that refuses to go out and fight on the front lines because some politician decides that it's, uh, it's the right thing to do when they're not doing it themselves? It could get to that point. Natalie, and I think if it does get to that point, people are so disgruntled by the government, it won't be like World War One and Two, where you have people lining up around the block to join up and go out and fight, uh, you know, uh, the enemy on, uh, uh, you know, on for blighty. I think you'll find a lot of resistance to this, and uh, I don't think it'll take down too well uh, if they try and bring in conscription or national service. Yeah, and Didi Denslow, actually, I don't know if you saw it on X last week, did a very interesting poll. He said, "Would you be prepared?" to to basically go fight for your country i think was basically the wording of of the poll and it was a no was 88 percent, i think it was you know and i put a comment under it and he was like i can't believe it people don't care about their country anymore and i said my reply was would i would i go fight for the freedom of my children absolutely would i go fight for a country that doesn't care one ounce about me anymore absolutely not there are two different things would i fight for myself and my children yes right now and that's why i think that the, the army is struggling to recruit people i don't think there is a sense of of, of us being together and fighting for your country anymore and also uh, has to be noted here as well and just want to give a shout out to uh mally bites in the live chat i think mally uh served in the forces as well and you yep. mentioned as well about your uh one of your sons at least was in the yep. cadets and if he decided he, is, he wanted yep. to go into the army you would uh some of my closest friends are ex-military you know there's military history in my family I have nothing but respect for people that actually make the choice to go out there and serve queen and country or king and country on the front line and put their lives at risk for national Absolutely. security nothing but respect but I think respect and faith in the government has waned to the point where if you tried to force people to do it against their will, I think you would find a great resistance to it. So not dissing anyone that's been in the troops or the armed forces or went out and been injured or suffered you know, PTSD or maybe been killed in service, nothing but respect for those people. However, Absolutely. that has to be your choice to do that rather than trying to force people uh, into the army or the Navy or the Air Force uh, by national service or conscription. I don't think it'll, it'll take at this point. No, and I, I think um, it would cause massive problems. Uh, but if the way they're going, and if they don't put that investment uh, in, in, uh, it's going to happen. And as a mum, you know, of course, I, you know, when, uh, somebody's just put like on the online chat, Mama Bear, of course, I don't want my son to go out to war. It's, it's, it's one of the worst things as a mum you can think. But at the same time, you know, I, I've always respected people's freedom of choice and as an adult if he decides to go and go to war that will be his choice that i will have to respect and as rick rightly said i um you know hats off to anyone that's gone out to any war and put their life on the line for other people nothing but respect for you for anyone out there listening and molly bites um because uh, i know he's listening in as well uh, another, another time for another story rick do we want to uh -huh. talk about the wall street journal editor uh, we can get, yeah, we can certainly uh, have a look at that story here. Interesting one. Uh, this is a story that was written uh, by Zero Hedge following on from the Davos uh, shindig that happened in Switzerland last week, which, of course, hard to believe that was a week ago. We were covering that with uh, young Callum Smiles. It was actually a week ago to the day that he first came in from Davos. Uh, the Wall Street Journal editor in chief admits to the Davos Illuminati. 
quote, we no longer own the news, unquote, which is interesting to hear that being said from the stage up there. It's almost an admission of defeat. This is something that we held with an iron and vice-like grip for so many decades. We controlled all the newspapers. We controlled the TV stations. Uh, we paid to have our uh, propaganda pumped out to the masses. But now, because of the like of TNT, Today's News Talk, and many, many other independent outlets, and people simply doing a bit of research using the technology at their fingertips, it's harder to pull the wool over people's eyes, Natalie, and they have to admit that they no longer control the reins when it comes to the forced narrative on people. And I think that's a great thing to hear someone like that say, it's almost like an admission of defeat. They're waving the white flag on the uh, communications front. Yeah, there was a big talk with lots of people there um, at Davos. This was the quote from uh, the Wall Street Journal editor. She said, I think there's a specific challenge for the legacy brands like the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. If you go back really not that long ago, as I say, we owned the news. We were the gatekeepers and we very much owned the fact as well. It is said that the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times were a fact. Nowadays, people can go to all different sorts of sources for their news and they're very much more questioning about what we're saying now that's great news but then in the same talk you had uh, the european commissioner vera Jurava. i'm not sure what it what, what how to say it but then she came out to say but the problem is you know kind of combating what uh, she said this uh, this information is a very powerful tool uh in the eu we are focused on improving the system where people will get the facts right we don't speak about opinions we're not correcting anyone's opinions or language it's about the facts so they're almost coming in to say well we need to get people believing in the legacy media again uh we don't want people questioning it so uh you know they took it they took it to heart really uh, they are losing control of the narrative so they are now doing more authoritarian things to gain control again of that power rick they are and it's interesting too for so many years you've heard people saying don't pay your tv license don't pay your tv license but people still continue to do it in vast vast numbers i think the amount to fall away now from people that have actually cancelled tv license they don't want to be funding the bbc they don't want to be paying money into the government's uh, broadcasting you know propaganda arm the same thing's happening in ireland here with rte which is the equivalent of the bbc in the uk people are cancelling their licensing hand over fist and now these old establishments, Natalie, these long uh, established, you know, workhorses of the government are actually under threat because of funding issues. And now they're talking about alternatives. Oh, should we increase people's taxes to pay, for example, for the BBC? They realize that there's only so much uh, life there is in these old horses that they're flogging to death at the moment. And I think they are genuinely worried about places like TNT because that's why the yeah. push is on the online harms bill, the hate speech bill that's being pushed in Ireland, trying to uh, Ofcom taking control of uh, all media sources to be able to de-platform if they they're guilty of missing disinformation and talking about hatred, even though they can't define what it is. They wouldn't do that if they weren't scared. And if you're scared of someone, that means they have the upper hand over you. So I think it's a, it's a real sunshine here, at least uh, to hear this being said on such a public globalist stage. And, and it's also important to say they're only scared because people are actually talking the truth and talking sense. Mm -hmm. If someone's a raving nutter and I come on today and start screaming about, you know, I, I can see dead people in front of me, mm -hmm. you know, be very scared. There's an army of dead people that's going to come through your screens. Do you think they're going to try shut me up? 
Rick? Or do you think they're just going to laugh and let me talk myself just stupid and probably yeah. lose my job and put be put in a mental asylum? The problem is, is they're trying to silence people because we're talking, we're talking the truth and it's stopping, it's stopping their power and control of the narrative. They are, they are running scared and they want to silence the voices that are actually talking sense, don't they? They do. And, you know, they say if someone's digging a hole, don't take the shovel away from them. So, you know, as you've rightly pointed out, if someone is a crackpot or raving lunatic or spouting something that's blatantly wrong or unscientific, let them talk, bring them on, let them yeah, make exactly. fools of themselves and then use that as sound bites to, to highlight the deficiencies in their rational arguments. But they can't do that, Natalie, because they know that we have rational arguments. And in reality, they're the ones that are being irrational. They're the ones that are spreading mis, dis and malinformation they're the ones that are leading people up the garden path not us we're simply trying to enlighten people you know there's nothing in it for us when we were sitting on twitter for years trying to tell people beware of this beware of that we weren't getting paid to do that however doctors were getting paid by big pharma they were getting 15 pound every time a needle went into somebody's arm and yet then you get frustrated when you think of your own family members or your loved ones who are taking the advice of bought and paid for pharma uh, employees over their own flesh and blood. You know, we're doing this and from an honest uh, motive, not by for financial gain. They're, they're the people that are not encouraging uh, good old healthy debate, educated debate. And that's what I try to do. I don't even block people on um, social media unless they're actually being uh, threatening towards me because I want to hear. I want to stay educated. I want to stay open-minded and hear other people's views. And that is what we try to do here at TNT Today's News Talk. We've come mm. to the end of the show. I will be back at nine o'clock tomorrow. Stay on for Rick. He's got Dee Dee Denslow to come. I'm sure that will be a good one. And uh, have a great day. And uh, I am going to go and do the same. Enjoy. Bye, Zeebo. <laughs>